0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on What to Expect. There are going to be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now, here's Sunday's message. Good morning, Collective Church. It is good to be here this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Kevin McNeil and I am a church planner. I am planting a church in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Uh, Michael Bartlett, your lead pastor, is my coach. And so I meet with him every other week and he just tells me everything that I'm doing wrong and it's great. I love that guy. I am excited to be here because this is my first time ever visiting and hanging out in Maryland. I have always driven through Maryland, but I've never actually like, stayed the weekend, and so it has been a weekend experience. I tried Scrapple for the first time. Yeah, okay, big fans of Scrapple. I wasn't that interested, but it was good, okay? It was good. Uh, it was interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to be here in Maryland. This morning, I met someone, and I said, hey, where are you from? And she said, I'm from Bel Air. And I said, oh, I've never met anyone from Bel-Air, like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And she was like, no, Bel-Air, Maryland. And I was like, oh, that is not as exciting. So uh, either way, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be here with you guys. You uh, have a reputation. Collective Church has a great reputation of serving uh, its community and loving on people and telling people about Jesus. And so I'm, I'm just really pumped to be here, to be hanging out with you and to, uh, to study God's word together. Hey, let's pray before we get started. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for this time to come together, to sing, uh, to worship. God, I pray that you would be with us now uh, as we study your word. I pray that you would give us your spirit and help us to understand what you want us to understand. God, we love you and we serve you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Do you ever wish that life had a reset button? Uh, The year was 2015, and I had just accepted a brand new job. I was the youth minister at a church in Virginia. And uh, if you don't know what a youth minister is, pretty much all I did was hang out with middle school and high school students and told them about Jesus. Uh, But just like any job, sometimes things got thrown at me, got thrown my way, that weren't necessarily in my job description. Okay, people were like, hey, I don't have time to do this. No one else can do this. Let's just let Kevin do it. You know, he's not really doing anything. Anyway, I remember one time I came to the church. It was Saturday, and I was just going to be there for a little bit. Uh, I walked in and I got a call from my boss. He said, hey, man, we're having a baptism tomorrow. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. And he says, but the problem is uh, no one has cleaned the baptistry for like eight months. It's disgusting. And so I look in the baptistry, and sure enough, there's like mosquitoes and spiders. It's like green. It's really, really gross. And I said, well, what are we going to do about it? He said, I'm busy today. Everybody else is busy. Is there any way you can clean the baptistry? I said, well... I've never cleaned a baptistry before, but you know, how hard can it be? Sure, I'll, I'll take on that task. So he explains to me how to do it. Uh, I did not come that day prepared to clean a baptistry. And so I just kind of stripped off all my clothes in public, uh, as much as you can publicly in a church. Uh, and I jumped in, and it's kind of one of those old school baptistries where you have to like reach down and like pull the plug. And uh, this thing drains, and I get these chemicals out here, and I start spraying the walls, and I got my pads and my rags, and I am just mr. Miying and it up and it is great that baptistry was clean as a whistle okay just like my grandma would say you could eat off those floors and i clean that thing it is nice it's clean i get back in there and i put the the drain back to to stomp it up and uh turn the water on everything's good job done i go back to my office uh and then i start working on my stuff like the stuff that is actually in my job description. So I start making lessons, and I start making sermons, and I start making phone calls and creating events and making appointments. Like, I am crushing some work this morning. It's probably been two or three hours. Everything is going good. And then I remember something really, really important. I never cut the water off. So I close my laptop. I run to the sanctuary, and as soon as I open those doors... Every nightmare that I had come true, right? I look and this baptistry is just overflowing. And so I take off my shoes, I run towards the baptistry to try to like cut the water off. And as soon as I step on the stage, you ever step on wet carpet, right? Super gross, okay? It's like squishy in between your toes. I knew it was bad because the carpet is soaked. And I'm looking at the stage, this is where we keep all of our instruments we got like power cords and microphones. I might die trying to cut this water off. And so I make my way back there. I finally, uh, you have to like get in the baptistry to cut it off. And so I cut it off. I'm leaning over. I'm trying not to jump in. And uh, I'm just sitting there overwhelmed like, dude, what did I just do? And for some reason, I keep hearing water. Like I just keep hearing it pouring. And I'm like, the water's off. I should not hear water. And then I remember something even more important. Church has a downstairs basement. Dude, I get out of the baptistry, I start walking down, I open the door, I start walking down the stairs. Yo, have you ever seen that movie Titanic? You know what I'm saying? Like when they're trying to get out and uh, Jack and Rose like running down the stairs and you can see just water. Dude, as I walk down every step, I just see the water like trickling down the steps. And I hear it, and I finally turn the corner, and the entire, like half of the entire church basement is just covered in water. And I'm looking around, and I'm trying to figure out where it begins and where it ends, and I have no idea. I'm completely overwhelmed. I'm super scared. I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose my job. All I want to do is just sit there and break down and cry. And I'm like, man, why doesn't life come with a reset button. I don't know where you are today, but I know that you have a moment in your life when you could go back and you could press the reset button as well. Like if I could just go back and turn the water off, then everything would be good. I wouldn't have this huge problem. I wouldn't have all this water everywhere. I wouldn't be standing ankle deep in water. And you probably have that same experience. If you could just go back and just take those words that you said, if you could just not say that thing, If you could just go back and maybe not take that first swig. Man, if I could just go back and not take that first puff. If I could go back and not click that first link or maybe send that person a message and get in a relationship with that person. If you could just go back and undo that, then your life would be great. You wouldn't have any of these problems that you have today. The problem is we can't go back. I can't go back in time. There is no reset button. The reality is I'm standing ankle deep in water, and I have no idea what to do, and you are just like me, looking at the mess that you've made in your life, and you just want to break down. This morning, I want to tell you uh, a story about a bunch of people that got a reset button on life. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel this morning, Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to tell you a little bit about Ezekiel before we get in there. Uh, Ezekiel was a prophet. This is the Old Testament. God used prophets to talk to his nation, to talk to his people. God would talk to the prophet. The prophet would talk to the people. So God comes to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I want you to go to people and I want you to tell them to stop doing what they're doing. What they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is sinful. If they keep doing it, bad things are going to happen. And this was the rough part of the deal. God said, you're going to do that, and no one's going to listen. And everything you say is going to come true, and bad things are going to happen. And so that's what Ezekiel does his entire life. He goes, he tells people, hey, stop sinning, stop disobeying God. And no one listens to him, and bad things happen. And later on in the the book of Ezekiel, God takes him, after all the bad things have happened, God takes him to this valley, and this is where we're going to be. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, it says, "'The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor.' They were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. So God takes Ezekiel to this valley, and in the valley, there's a bunch of bones. There's a bunch of dead people. It was like a, a war that happened. Nobody got buried. They just rotted and decayed right there in the valley. And it's not like fresh bones. These have been here a really, really long time. These are dry bones And so God shows Ezekiel this valley, and he takes them all around and just shows him uh, all of the bones. And then this is what happens in verse 3. It says, then he asked, son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. I do this thing with my friends. Uh, I like to do it to my wife a lot, uh, and it's the most obnoxious thing, one of the most obnoxious things about me. Uh, I have a saying that I say, and it just gets on her nerves. It gets on my friend's nerves. I look at her, I look at my friends, and I say, hey, can you just trust your boy? You know, and I say it just like that. I'm like, hey, would you calm down and just trust your boy? Like if they don't know something that I know and they're worried and I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Are we prepared for this? Do we have this? You know, and I will look at them and I'll be like, hey, calm down, relax. Just trust your boy, you know. Instead of just telling them everything's going to be okay, no, I want to be really annoying about it. I want to be like, hey, just trust your boy. Listen, when I read this story, I see God taking Ezekiel around. And he's showing them all of these dry bones. He's like, "Hey, these, these have been dead for a really long time, and God pulls them aside and says, "Hey, do you think that these dry bones, you think they could ever live again?" And I look at God looking at Ezekiel, saying, "Hey, do you trust me, boy?" And Ezekiel, Ezekiel says, "God, only you know the answer to that. I have no idea. I can't do it. If anyone's going to do it, you are going to be the one that's going to be able to make it happen." And this is what happens in verse four. It says, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So God tells Ezekiel, hey, this, this valley full of dry bones, I want you to prophesy to them which is basically a word that means preaching. Like, I want you to speak to them. I want you to talk to them, and I want you to tell them, dry bones, listen to what God says. You're going to live again. And as he's doing it, this happens in verse 7. It says, so I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise across all the valley." The bones of each body came together and attached to themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched muscles and flesh formed on the bones, the skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. At this point, I'm Ezekiel, I'm out, right? That's terrifying. You bring me to a valley full of dead people, full of dry bones that have been there forever. You tell me to start preaching to them and speaking to them and telling them to come to life. And as I'm doing it, I hear the ground rattle. I'm good. I'm good. I've seen enough horror movies to know how this ends, right? And so I'm like, man, I'm out. But Ezekiel continues to do this, and these skeletons, they come together. And they form bodies again and muscles and tendons and skin. It starts to basically rebuild themselves right in front of Ezekiel. And it says they had no breath in them. Uh, Look at this next little part. It says in verse 9, it says, Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So spoke this message as he commanded, and a breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood on their feet, a great army. This word, breath, is a Hebrew word, and it's pronounced ruach, right? It sounds like you're hawking up a loogie. Uh, This word, ruach, God says, hey, I want you to, you see these bodies that are before you, they don't have any breath in them, so I want you to breathe ruach into them. I want you to breathe life into them. When God created Adam, he created them from the dust. And after he created them, he breathed Ruach into them. And so these these skeletons are now people, and they're standing in front of Ezekiel, this army ready to go. And this is the last part of the story, this is in verse 11. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones, all hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I have said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. And just like that, a valley full of dry, dead bones, a valley full of death and hopelessness is brought together, and God is able to revive them, he's able to rebuild them, and he's able to restore them. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know the mess that you've made, I know the mess I've made, I don't know your mess, I don't know the mistakes you've made, I don't know the errors and the situations that you have gotten yourself into. But what I do know, is that God is able to take your mess and turn it into a masterpiece. He's able to take your mess, the things that you have done, all of your mistakes, every situation you're in, He's able to take that and turn it into a masterpiece. You see, God talks to Ezekiel and says, hey, these bones represent the nation of Israel, but these bones, they also represent you, and they represent me. From the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden. And he says, hey, you guys can do whatever you want. You can kick it. You have a good time. The only thing I ask is that you don't eat from this one tree, And if you've read this account, you know this story, Adam and Eve, they're tempted. They look at this fruit, and they say, you know what? Even though God told me not to do this, I think think I'm going to do it anyway. I think I want to live my way instead of God's way. And so they bite into the apple, and we call that sin. It's when we disobey God. And ever since then, we've learned a valuable lesson. Sin, it always overpromises, and it always underdelivers, It looks really good. It's like, man, it's going to be the time of my life. But then once you engage in it, you're standing ankle deep in water. And it's not fun at all. And this sin, it separates us from God and it causes us nothing but problem after problem and there's no way to make things right. And so God sends Jesus and he says, hey, even though you've messed up, I'm gonna pay the penalty. I'm gonna pay your price and I'm going to die for you and make you right with God again. And because Jesus came and we believe in him, God is able to take our mess and he's able to turn it into a masterpiece. My only question is, Like, how can we take this mess, these mistakes, these errors? How can we take this and make anything good of them? How can God do any of that with us? How do we actually do that? What can we do? That's a cute saying, right? Your mess into a masterpiece. But when you leave here today, what can you actually do to make this practical in your life? And I think of three things. Number one, you got to look at the damage, Right? Like God takes Ezekiel around, and this says this. It says, He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. Listen, God it takes Ezekiel everywhere, and He wants to show him all of the bones. Not just a little bit, He takes them everywhere. He says, Listen, you see this problem? This is huge. You know, if you've ever been, uh, if you ever heard of the group uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the first step is admitting you have a problem. Because when you look at the damage of your own life, you got to play the honesty game. You got to be truthful with yourself and you got to say, listen, I have really, really messed up. And there's no sugarcoating it. There's no making it nicer than it is. It's like, man, I've really, really jacked my life up, object the situation up. I have messed this relationship up and there's no way I can fix it. There's no way Ezekiel can can bring these bones back to life. There's no way these bones can bring themselves back to life. When we look at the damage, we realize our need for God. We realize like, man, I can't do this by myself and so we have to look at the damage, which brings me to my my second point. Man, look at the damage, but then number two, get some help. You know, uh, I'm standing ankle deep in water. Uh, I call my boss, Uh, he's kind of my boss, he's like an elder, Uh, he's a really good friend, I call him up, and uh, I'm almost in tears at this point, I'm like, man, I I think I'm about to lose my job, call him up, and his name is Scott, and every time, every time I call him and he answers the phone, he answers this way, he goes, hello, right, because he knows I'm about to ask him something, right, so I call him up, I'm like, Scott, and he's like, hello, I'm like, dude, I messed up big time. And he's like, what'd you do? And I'm like, man, I was just working in my office. I cleaned the baptistry, but I forgot to cut the water off, and now the entire church is flooded. And as I like talk, my voice gets higher, and I get quieter because it's scary. And uh, he, I'm like really, really worried. He's about to explode and get mad. You know what this dude says? He's on the phone in the most nonchalant way. He says, well, won't be the first time. Won't be the last time. I'll come over and help you clean it up. And I was like, what? And then I learned, like, I'm not the only one that's flooded the baptistry. It's been flooded like 10 times. Everybody at this church is like a rite of passage. Like, do you really work here? If you really worked here, you flooded the baptistry before. I think, I think that sometimes we think we're the only ones going through this. We're the only ones struggling with this. We're the only ones that are in this situation. But that's not true at all. Everybody is struggling. Everybody is imperfect. We have all sinned and fallen short from the standard that God has for us. Man, you can't fix it on your own if you really look at the damage. Man, there's a lot of damage. The best thing you can do is get some help. Talk to some people. Talk to somebody who has gone through what you have been through. Listen, I have only been here this morning. This is the only time I've been to Collective. And I can tell you that this place is a great place to get some help. I've met a few of uh, your people, and I've asked them, hey, what's your favorite part about collective? And they've always said, every single answer is, it's the community. It's the people here. This is a great place to be honest, to really talk to people, and really get some help with what you are going through. And so look at the damage. Get some help. And then number three, listen to God's word. And I think that this is the hardest part. It says this in verse 4. It says, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Can you imagine if the bones were like, ah, we're good. We're just going to kick it here, right? Not only would that be a really boring and awkward story, but they would never experience life again. Listen, sometimes we read the Bible and we, we know what we should do and then we're like, ah, I'm good, I'm good. The hardest thing is to actually do what the Bible says. You have to listen to God's word. You have to put it into practice. And that's challenging, especially when you're standing ankle deep in water with the mess that you have made, with the situations that you have put yourself in. It's hard to listen to God's word. It's scary to listen to God's word. But it is how we can take our mess and turn it into a masterpiece. Uh, There was a, a girl named Whitney at my church that we met. Um, At at my church, we have a snow cone truck. It's like the greatest thing in the world. It literally says, Canvas Church, free snow cones. And we drive it, and we just like open a window and give out free snow cones. It's the greatest thing ever. Uh, There's a girl named Whitney that we met at the snow cone truck, and she started hanging out with us. And uh, one day, a few months later after meeting her, one day Whitney messages me. And she says, hey, I got a really, really tough situation. I'm wondering if you can help me out. And I said, yeah, what's up, what's up? She said, well, it's really kind of really scary. Uh, she said, my husband left me seven months ago. We decided to kind of split ways. He, he, like, it just wasn't working out. And part of it was my fault, part of it was his fault. But we just said, this isn't us anymore. And so he left. I didn't want him to leave, but he left. And she said, I thought we were done. I thought, I thought this was over, but he just came back this weekend. And as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, sweet, it's great. And he says, but the problem is, when he came back, I just found out today, I'm pregnant. And she said, what's worse is, I don't know who the dad is. He told me that he would stay, but I got to get rid of this child. I got to, you know, take care of this is what he said. And she said, I I think I know what I'm going to do. I think I've made up my mind. I think I've made my decision. I just wanted to see what you thought. And so I, I messaged Whitney back. I said, hey, thanks for sharing that. It's very difficult. I said, it sounds like you have a really big decision to make. You have a lot of big decisions to make. I said, could you just wait one week? Could you, like, get coffee with me or dinner with me? And let's talk about this in person before you make that decision. And She said, yeah, I can do that. And so me, Whitney, uh, she brought her husband, Marcellus, and uh, my wife. We all went to the Chili's. Shout out to Chili's for being the greatest restaurant ever. Uh, we went to Chili's, and we had dinner, and it was like the greatest but the most awkward dinner I've ever been a part of, right? It's like, hey, let me tell you all about us. And tell, tell us all about you, and now let's just talk about your darkest sins, right? It was really weird. But see, that night, we talked to them, and we were able to share them who Jesus is. We're like, hey, listen, it's not her fault. It's not his fault. The reality is it's both of your faults. And we talked about what sin is, how it overpromises, how it always underdelivers. And I said, listen, if you really want to obey God, if you really want to listen to his word, you, you have three options here. I said, number one, you guys, I mean, y'all could just split. There's, there's, no, there's no reason that your mistakes have to affect someone else's life. And I said, just, just split. Go your separate ways. I said, number two, you can have this baby and you can give it up for adoption. My wife was with me and she is adopted. And uh, we, we use that to, to share the power of like, hey, her mom gave her up for adoption. That's my wife. And now we have a son. And if it wasn't for her mom's decision to give her up for adoption, I wouldn't have a wife. I wouldn't have a son who is the cutest kid in the world. He's 11 weeks old. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, man, I love having a kid. It's great. <clears throat> and so I said, listen, that's the, the second option. The third option is, is probably the hardest But I challenged them and I said, I think that this is the best option. I said, I think you should forgive each other. I think you should love each other. I think you should stay committed to your vows and do what God wants of you and try this marriage again with him at the center of it. And they decided to go the third option. And that month we baptized her husband and it wasn't easy, it was incredibly difficult. But just last month, they had their little baby boy. And uh, man, you talk about God making, uh, taking a mess and making it into a masterpiece. That is the most adorable family. They love each other. They, they definitely have issues. They're definitely still struggling sometimes. But every single day, they are choosing to obey God, even when it's difficult. Even when things are unclear, they are listening to what God wants them to do when it is clear. And that's to love each other, to serve each other, And to be there for their family. And so look at the damage. Get some help. Listen to God's word. Uh, This morning I want to ask you, what is God calling you to do? What does it mean to listen to God's word for you? If this is your first time here or if this is your millionth time here and you've looked at the damage of your life, maybe your step is, man, you want to talk to somebody about it. Like I said, this is a great place to talk to someone. This is a great place to get some help. Maybe your next step this morning is to say, you know what? I've been trying to live my like, life my way, but now I want to live God's way. I want to do what God says. I want to take this step and I want to say, listen, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to get baptized. I want a clean slate. I want a fresh start. And I want to allow my, my God to make my mess into a masterpiece. That's you this morning. I know you can talk to anyone here. I'm a guest speaker, so I don't know the exact person to talk to, but uh, we would love, I would love to talk to you about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and how you can be made right with him just like that today. How he can take your mess and turn it into a masterpiece. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for second chances and third chances and unlimited chances. God, thank you for your mercy and your patience with us when we mess it up. God, uh, thank you for coming down, sending your, your son to show us how to love. God, I pray this morning that you can take our mess, that you can take our mistakes, and that you continue to work on them and continue to work on us and create us into someone that you want us to be. God, take our mess and turn it into a masterpiece. We love you and we serve, serve you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.